Amen. Amen. Titus chapter 2, as we continue our short little series in the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. While you're turning there, I do want to take a moment and share something from my heart with you to our church family. Uh, And God has been moving in my heart, obviously, before we got the email from the district that we probably weren't going to have air conditioning here today. So I don't want you to think this was the only reason this is being said today. But especially with our Tuesday nights having to, you know, give up Tuesday nights for a couple weeks as well, I want to remind us of this, and this is something that God, again, has been moving in my heart, so I want to share this with you guys, and especially as we get towards fall, you're going to be hearing me share a lot more about this. But I really believe that in these next five to six months, we as a church need to really make a matter of prayer and really seek the Lord on our own future and to be willing to step out by faith as far as a church goes, in relationship to a meeting place. I'm not saying I don't appreciate what we have here. I'm not saying that Basha has not been an unbelievable blessing for the first three-plus years we've been in existence. But I really believe that when it comes to things like Tuesday nights, not being able to meet because we're at the mercy of another entity, And hearing very late in the week that we're probably not going to have air conditioning because we're at the mercy of another entity. That we need to realize that sometimes God moves through circumstances. And uh, I just really believe that we as a church need to come together and really need to begin to pray, God, what is that next step? And I don't know about you all, but I think being a part of a church like this at this stage in in its history is probably the most exciting part. Because when you get your own building and you sort of, you know, even unintentionally put it on cruise control, there's something missing from the early days of when we did all this and had to put up with all this and had all these extra challenges and stuff. So I get it that these days are to be cherished in their own way. But I also believe that God is moving us to eventually have our own place. And I don't want you to think I've forgotten about that. I don't pray about it. Seek God's will all the time. But I'd like you to join me in that over these next couple months because I really believe God is getting ready to move and to show us what that next step is. And let's not forget that because of God's grace operating in our church and because of your generosity and your faithfulness, as a church, we're sitting on about $500,000 because of that. And that's because God, I think, is preparing us for that next step. So that's not what the message is about, but I wanted to share that from my heart today. Titus chapter 2. Let's just go back just a little bit to last week and get a running start into Titus chapter 2. This young man, Titus, was being asked by God through the Apostle Paul to go to the island of Crete and to begin to plant churches. Reason being was Crete 
was a location where there wasn't a lot of spiritual health. In a sense, generally speaking, there was a lot of spiritual sickness on the island of Crete. And so let's also remember, what was God's answer to a lack of spiritual health in a location? It was build strong local churches. That was God's answer. That might not be man's answer, but that's God's answer to the problem. I want Titus to go to the island of Crete, and I want him to begin to appoint elders in every town, and I want to establish strong local churches. This is what is going to turn the spiritual health of that island around. This is what's going to begin to change the spiritual sickness and malaise that exists on that island. And we saw that then it's very important to God that the people who know God and have a relationship with him send out a very strong, clear, and I'm going to add today this word, positive signal of who he is and what his will is in all of our lives. But we saw last week, the only way that as Christians we can send out a strong, clear, and positive signal to others around us about who God is and what he's all about is if we are receiving a strong and clear signal from God. As we talked about technology last week, you and I are very dependent nowadays with all of our gadgets on being able to receive a strong, clear, uninterrupted, uncorrupted, undiluted signal. Because if we can't, then we're not really being sure about the message that's trying to get through to us. And we certainly can't send other messages clear, strong, and loud out if we're not getting a clear signal. And so in chapter 1 of Titus, Titus is all about hearing the fact that he's got to, obviously, continue in his own life to receive a strong, clear signal from God so that he can send out a strong, clear signal to others. And he wants these churches to be places where the leadership is receiving a strong, clear signal from God so that they can send a strong, clear signal out to the people of that church so that as a church, this church can exist truly as a lighthouse in that community on that island of Crete and be able to send out a strong, clear signal about God so that that spiritual health of that, of that island and the spiritual sickness that exists on that island can be changed. So in chapter 2, Paul is also reemphasizing to Titus that this signal that we are to send out as Christians needs to be strong, needs to be clear, but in chapter 2, he's going to emphasize it needs to be positive. It needs to be attractive. Literally, it needs to be beautiful in the Greek language, if you study Titus chapter 2. In other words, Paul is saying to Titus, Titus, remind folks who are following God that as they get involved in local churches and as God begins to move, that one of God's priorities, a message he wants to send strong and clear to his people is, we've got to individually and corporately live in a beautiful way in a way that when others observe our lives, they are attracted to our God and to his word. They are not repelled to our God and to his word. 
You see this over and over again in chapter 2 in different ways. Like, for instance, notice in verse 5 at the end. He's talking here specifically to younger women, but the principle's the same. When he says at the end of verse 5, do these things so that the message of God may not be discredited. The word discredited in the Greek is blasphemo. Blaspheme. And it literally means to cast in a negative light. In other words, teach the Christians to do this so that God's message is not cast in a negative light. Then in verse 7, he's talking specifically to Titus and telling Titus who he needs to be and who he needs to train other leaders to be. Notice, then in verse 8, a sound message that cannot be criticized. In other words, again, a way to give the message that will, first of all, cause growth and not be have a found fault with, if you will. And then, over in verse 9 and 10, he's talking to servants or slaves. And at the end of verse 10, notice what he says to servants. He says, you all under authority need to live in such a way, notice this at the end of verse 10, in order to bring credit to the teaching of God our Savior, not just in some things, in everything. And the words to bring credit to literally mean that we live in such a way that is attractive, consistent, beautiful, that people who maybe don't know our God or don't know God as well as we do are drawn that by the way we live, we're earning, earning their respect for who we are in Christ and for who we are in God and for what God has done for us. So you can see in this chapter over and over again, he's saying to Christians, Christians, you've got to take the message that God wants to send in your life loud and clear. And he wants you to live it out in your flesh every day in a way that will bring credit to that message. So the first word I want to use today as I start a little bit of an outline, and I, I, I don't force alliteration, but you know if you've been around me long enough that if I can use alliteration, I will. And I do that not for your sakes, I do it for my sakes. One of the reasons why I approach biblical passages and sometimes land on sort of an outline of alliteration is because it helps me to remember these principles. So the first word I want us to think about today of what Paul's trying to get across is the word incarnation. And you and I usually hear that word even as Christians only in connection with Jesus Christ. That the God... Jesus Christ, the eternal God, became a man and dwelt in human flesh. That's the way we use the word incarnation. But technically speaking, the word incarnate or incarnation just simply means in flesh. In other words, that just like Jesus Christ ultimately was the full, fullest, completest, expression and embodiment of God because he is God to man. Don't miss the fact that in the Bible, God expects his people to embody and express 
who he is in our flesh to those around us. He expects the same thing. That as we live our lives, we are to be the embodiment and the expression of God's message to other people. That's why Jesus said to his followers, let your light shine. Don't hide your light of God under a bushel. Don't, you know, let that light of God not be seen by others. I want to put my people on display. But as I do it, please know that I want your life to be beautiful, to be attractive, because you are embodying and expressing who I am to others in your human flesh. You are doing that. That's what he's saying throughout the whole passage. And so we need to remember that if we're going to send out a positive, strong, clear signal of who God is in our life to others, we need to remind ourselves every day that even in our flesh, even in our fallen, sinful flesh, God wants us to embody and express who he is to others around us. How do we do that? How do we take on that daunting task? Well, if we go back to the beginning of chapter 2, here's another word that starts with the letter I. I think it starts, first of all, with instruction. That we need to be willing as Christians to be instructed and to seek out healthy, spiritually healthy teaching. Teaching from the Word of God that will cause us to spiritually grow. If we're not, again, getting good, healthy teaching into our life, if our spiritual diet is deficient, then just like a person's physical diet is deficient, it will show up in our lives physically. If a Christian's spiritual diet is deficient, it's going to show up in our life spiritually. That's why at the beginning of chapter 2, he says, But as for you, Titus, communicate the behavior that goes with sound teaching. Sound teaching. Spiritually healthful teaching. Teaching that causes growth. We saw this back in chapter 1. In fact, in verse 9 of chapter 1, if you just look at that for a moment, he's talking to Titus about the kind of leaders that need to be in these local churches. And he says, they must be the kind of leaders that hold firmly to the faithful message as it has been taught so that they will be able to give exhortation to such or in such healthy teaching and correct those who speak against it. Up in verse 13 of chapter 1, he talks about for this reason, the leadership in these local churches must rebuke those who are not spiritually healthy sharply, that they may be healthy in the faith, you see. So it all goes back to the willingness to listen to spiritually healthy teaching and teaching from God's word that's going to cause growth in my life. And as I said last week, that's becoming more and more difficult. And the Bible predicts it. In the book we just studied, 2 Timothy, that's why Paul told Timothy, Timothy, you got to preach the word because there's coming a time when people will not seek out the word of God. 
They will more be interested in accumulating all these different teachers and they will literally turn their ears away from the truth and be turned to fiction and fables and myths and speculations and discussion. Which is why I even warned you all about this emerging church movement nowadays. One of the big principles and premises of the emerging church is, you know what? We don't need to be part of a local church. We can just meet in somebody's home and we can just have discussions about God. We don't need to be taught the word of God by people that God caused and called to teach. We don't need that anymore. We can grow just through fellowship. We can grow through just watching a Christian movie together and discussing it afterwards. But if you study the Bible and you read the Bible, that's not the way God designed our growth to be. In fact, Paul told Timothy, that's not even the way you and I come to know the Lord, period. Paul told the Corinthians, it is by the foolishness of preaching that God was pleased to save people. That's why Paul said, I'm just going to continue. I'm not even interested in baptizing. I'm interested in preaching because that's the way God designed it. That's why Paul told Timothy, you keep preaching even if it's not the cool thing to do anymore. Because that's what God designed. That's why Peter said, as newborn babes, Christians should desire hunger, thirst after the pure milk of the word so that we can what? Grow by it. Christians today think that somehow they can spiritually grow and be in spiritual health without the word of God, without being instructed by those who are called by God to teach his word. And Paul's telling Titus, when you get on the island of Crete, besides reminding them about, in a sense, being an incarnate expression and embodiment of God and his message to people, Remind them about the importance of being instructed, about taking in a spiritually healthy diet consistently in their life. It's the only way that you and I as Christians will ever be able to send out a positive, strong, clear signal to others if we're taking in spiritually healthy teaching that's causing us to grow. Because we can't pass on to others that which we don't know or have an experience. The other word I want to use here is integration. Because Titus is also to remind all these people on the island of Crete that it isn't just about instruction as far as that's the end all be all. That the instruction of God, of spiritually healthy teaching, of teaching that causes growth has to lead somewhere. It can't just sit there. It has to be integrated into every aspect of our lives. There can be no such thing as compartmentalizing our lives as Christians. Saying, well, I'm going to go through the Bible and I'm going to pick out the parts that I like and I'll apply the parts that I like to these areas of my life, but this area of my life and this area of my life, that's off limits. That's mine. I'm going to do what I want. And I'm not going to integrate it into every part. First of all, that's not biblical. And God's made that very clear. That's why, again, if you just look for a second back over at the end of verse 10 of chapter 2, that's why he writes, in order to bring credit to the teaching of God our Savior in everything. 
every part of our lives. We are to integrate what we are learning and how we're growing into every part of life. Every relationship that we have should be continually transformed by the spiritual diet that we're taking in. That's why, again, the Bible isn't just for information, it's for transformation. So that's why in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, notice what Paul says to Titus. As for you, communicate the behavior that goes with sound teaching. In other words, Titus has to remind all these folks, as Titus is reminded, there's a behavior that corresponds to the teaching, always. There's something that I need to do, some kind of action that I need to apply to my life to everything that I'm taught from God's word. It can't just be that I'm growing in knowledge and it's coming up here in my head if I'm never fleshing it out and and living it out in my life, expressing it, embodying it, then there's a disconnect somewhere. Again, then, I'm not really receiving a clear, strong signal from God. Because if I was, I would know how important it is to God that everything that I take in, it's, there's supposed to be a corresponding behavior change to that teaching. It needs to be integrated into every aspect of my life, into every behavior, into every relationship. Nothing is off limits with God. And Titus is to focus on this. Again, because this is God's way. God said, I'll tell you how to make this island spiritually healthy. Let's plant churches. And let's get spiritual leaders in every town to plant churches. And let's begin to send out a strong, clear signal of who I am. Then that will in turn have all these people on the island of Crete who are receiving this strong, clear signal so that they can send out a strong, clear signal to others. Be everyday missionaries everywhere they go. Every life that they touch, they will be the embodiment and expression of God himself to others. And the reason that they're able to sustain that kind of behavior is because they're getting healthy instruction in the word of God. They're getting spiritually sound teaching that's causing growth. And the teaching that they're getting isn't just sitting there. That they're actually taking it and applying it, they're behaving differently because of the teaching. So incarnation, instruction, integration. The next one is interdependence. Now I'm not going to, as I said last week, this is not going to be a verse-by-verse, word-by-word study like sometimes we do. But I, I hope that it's enough to especially for those of you that's not familiar with the book of Titus, give you a pretty good idea and handle on where Titus is, all of, what it's all about, and to hopefully spur you to study it as well. In fact, one of the neat things is God led me to do a study of Titus before the women of our church ever decided to do a Titus 2 Bible study, which, by the way, they're going to be covering all this this fall, gals. But here's what I want you to see. Beginning in Titus chapter 2, verse 2, down through verse 6, Titus is specifically to talk to 
older men and younger men in the church and older women and younger women. And notice, there are to, there's to be an interdependence within the church, as far as relationships go, of getting together and coming together and feeding off of each other and encouraging each other and even learning from each other and being, you know, encouraged and supported by each other. Well, here again, in a lot of churches today, that's not the focus. For many people, they want to be part of a church where there's no interdependence. They come, they sit through an hour service, they go home, they never have any contact with anybody in that church. They don't have any really relationships in their life with other Christians to speak of. They're never poured into by other Christians and they're never pouring into other Christians and there's never this interdependence going on. And let me also say this, one of the sad things today, especially in churches that are big, is instead of crossing general, general, I can't even say it, instead of being cross-generation, oh, (laughs) had to think about that, where, where? Older saints and younger saints are all mixed together. Or let me even take it a step further. Where singles and married people are together. Where people who have different places in life and different seasons of life, but yet they're together interdependently. You don't find that nowadays. You know what you find? You're married, you go over here and you segregate yourself from singles in this church and you just, you married people, you do your own thing. Oh, you singles, you're over here. You're your own little entity. And singles and married people never get together. Oh, you're beyond a certain age, you're over 50. Well, guess what? Your group is over here and you're never to have any contact with people in their 20s. Even though you could offer them a lot because that's, that's your group. And you 20-somethings, you stay right there. The problem with all that, it's not biblical. If you study Titus chapter 2, you will see that God's plan is when God's people come together, we come together as a family. And all of us, no matter what age we are, what where we're at in life, we've got to learn it through God. I can learn something and I can help others to learn something no matter where they are in life. And we all don't have to share everything the same in order to be used by God to positively impact each other. I'll use our young adult group even here at the Oasis as an example of that. Most young adult groups nowadays, when you say young adult automatically most people in a church think singles ministry. That's not the case at the Oasis. The young adult ministry here is a thriving, growing ministry. And you know what? They've got single young adults and they've got married young adults. There's at least a couple married couples in there and they get together all the time. And you don't hear them going, oh man, you guys just don't fit in with us or we don't fit in with you. They're thriving because they're not letting what man wants to do and how man wants to do it to limit what God wants to do. God tells us in these verses, I want you all to come together. You're a family. You all can learn from each other. And that's exactly what the women's Bible study is going to emphasize. 
The name of it's going to be Generation to Generation, where we get past the idea that somehow the younger gals, and I'll say younger men, can't teach the older men a few things, and that the younger women can't teach the older women some things, and that the older women and older men can't teach the younger men and women some things. Interdependence. Interdependence. That's what God designed, and that's what Titus needed to focus on. Not a church where everybody comes together, supposedly, and then separates out and segregates out and never gets together with each other. And I just want to say, I love what God has done and what he's doing here. And I love the attitude that you all have towards that because you embrace that here. You love the fact that you don't have to feel at this place in life like you've got to be stuck over here with this particular group, and you can't fellowship with other people who may not be exactly your age or may not be exactly going through what you're going through in life. You get the value of everybody. And that's what Titus is to emphasize. couple more. Sorry. I could keep going, but I'm going to move on. I do want to point this out. Like, for instance, you'll see in verse 10 that Titus is to talk to servants, but there's nothing here in this particular book about masters or those in authority. And if you go back through, too, in Titus chapter 2, those earlier verses, he's talking a lot about relationships that just are the common, everyday, ordinary relationships that all of us share in a home. Parents. Children, husbands, wives, just home relationships, doing home together. And being a servant, going to work every day, having someone in authority over me. What's God trying to say there? He's trying to say that you and I can impact God in our everyday relationship. We don't need to have some special thing happen to us or have some special opportunity. God is saying to us every day of our lives is an opportunity to embody and express who I am to those around you all the time. And one of the things that Titus wants to teach people on the island of Creed is this. One of the greatest testimonies to God is a well-ordered, well-run household. That's why he gives all that instruction. See, we forget that nowadays. And yet, just as it was 2,000 years ago, it's maybe even more important today. Because when people, especially who don't have God, observe, even if it's from a distance, a home that is well-ordered and well-run, They're impressed because let's face it, there are a lot of families out there today and a lot of homes out there today that are in a mess. They're drama after drama all the time, and there's nothing beautiful. There's nothing attractive about being part of that home and that family and all of that because... First of all, Christ isn't the center of that home, probably, or Christ's principles aren't being daily applied to the lives within that home. 
But Paul wants to emphasize to Titus, who then in turn is to emphasize to all the people on the island, if you let Christ take over your home, and you let Christ take over your relationship, and even as a servant, even as an employee, do you realize the influence you have? I think that's another encouragement here. He, the reason he doesn't talk to masters or those in authority, it's almost like, Everybody realizes, well, obviously, because of their position, they have usually influence, good or bad, but it's usually influence. But there's a lot of us that don't realize the influence that we can have under authority. That if we live our lives the way Titus is to teach these people to live their lives, even as servants, God says, I'll use you to impact and influence other people's lives. In fact, notice what he says in verse 10 to servants. He says, servants are to be subject to their own masters in everything. To do what is wanted and not talk back. Not pilfering, but showing all good faith. In this way, you will bring credit to the teaching of God our Savior in everything. In other words, he's saying, The kind of employee you are over the long haul, that consistent life of letting God work through you, even when you're under authority, even when you're a servant, you're going to influence people 360 degrees around you, including those over you in authority. But many times as Christians, we don't really believe that. That's why we, even as Christians, grab for power and grab for position because we have bought into the lie of the world that the only way I can have influence and impact others is if I'm on the top. And yet the message of the Bible is God was always using people underneath authority to influence those over authority. Think of books like Daniel. Think of stories like Joseph in the book of Genesis. Think of a couple named Mary and Joseph. On and on and on. Did Jesus ever have any official authority within the nation of Israel? Absolutely not. So, incarnation, instruction, integration, interdependence, couple more. Verse 11 intentionality intentionality is the word i use to hook up with the concept of grace that's being taught here and i hope you'll see why in just a moment in verse 11 he says for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation to all people and i think there he's simply talking about jesus christ the embodiment and expression of god's grace Better than anything or anyone ever has been, he came to earth to embody and to express God's grace to mankind. But that's not where it ended. Because today, according to the word of God, God's grace didn't depart back to heaven when Jesus Christ ascended back to heaven. That through the indwelling Holy Spirit that exists in every Christian, God's grace is available for us today at all times which is why paul goes on to tell titus here's what you need to teach that god's grace trains us to reject godless ways and worldly desires to be able to live self-controlled upright 
and godly lives in this present age. See, according to God, God's grace is like our personal spiritual trainer that is available to us every day. But here's where intentionality comes in. I've got to be intentional about living by God's grace. If I live my life on my own, in my own power, in my own strength, then there's no way I'm going to be able to do what this tells me I should be doing. Because I'm not doing it by God's grace. His supernatural empowerment and enablement. When I live by God's grace, I live on a whole different plane. There's things that I can do that I could never do on my own. But I've got to be intentional. I mean, think about it in the terms of how we parallel sometimes the spiritual world with the physical world. If there's all this exercise workout equipment, or even if I've paid for or hired a personal physical trainer in my life, I still have the responsibility of getting with that person or working out on that equipment because it might be available to me. I might have a gym membership, if you will, but if I'm not putting myself in there to use it, to avail myself of it, it doesn't do me any good. That just like how important it is to take in a spiritual diet of instruction, it's also important for us as Christians, if we're going to send out a strong, clear, positive signal to others, to in a sense work out every day, to go through spiritual training. And who is our spiritual trainer or what is our spiritual trainer? Who's available to us all the time? God's grace. But just like I have to be intentional about physically working out, about getting exercise physically, I also have to be intentional about working out spiritually. It's not that God's grace isn't available, but I choose to sort of reject God's grace and do things on my own. And see, what God tells us in his word is, that's not the way my grace works. First of all, I'm not going to force my grace on on you. It's available, but I'm not going to force it on you. You've got to ask for it. You've got to want it. That's why James says, God gives grace to the humble, but rejects the proud. So in other words, if I'm prideful and I go, God, I got this. I'm going to live my life on my own then God's grace won't be training us and exercising and working us out so that we can do all the things that God's grace tells us we should be doing. The only way you and I, even as Christians, can fulfill all these responsibilities is by saying every day and maybe even several times during a day, God, I need you. God, I can't do this without you. God, I need your grace right now. Because my reaction or my response would be this, but I need your grace in order to... See, because what Paul is basically telling Titus is that don't ever let a Christian think that they can reject godless ways apart from God's grace. Don't ever let them think that they can reject worldly desires apart from God's grace. Don't ever let them think that they can live a self-controlled, upright life apart from God's grace. Don't let them ever think that they can live godly lives in the present age apart from God's grace. It can't happen, folks. And that's why we as Christians need to be intentional. 
We need to wake up every day and say, God, I cannot do this on my own. I need you. I need to depend upon you. And I need your grace. God's grace is the only thing that will enable us to wait, verse 13, for the happy fulfillment of our hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God's grace is the only thing that's going to give us freedom. Because Paul says to Titus, Jesus Christ came not just to die on a cross to save us as far as a relationship, but notice... To set us free, verse 14, from every kind of lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are truly his, who are eager, literally burning to do good. How can a people burn, have such passion to do good? Only by God's grace. Because if left up to ourselves, it's going to be all about us. If left up to ourselves, apart from God's grace and God's divine influence, we're gonna, we're gonna, it's, all the choices and decisions we make is going to be selfish. It's only when we allow God's grace to take over that we begin to lay down our lives for others and live selflessly and not live for us. So incarnation, instruction, integration, interdependence, intentionality, one more importance because notice what paul tells titus in verse 15 says titus so communicate these things with the sort of exhortation or rebuke that carries full authority literally the weight of god in other words he's saying to titus titus when you get on that island you've got to emphasize that what you're teaching and, and what you're training and what you're doing is of absolute eternal importance that carries the weight of God. In fact, he goes on to end this chapter by saying, don't let anyone look down on you. This phrase in the Greek means to dismiss, to disregard, or let me use some modern term, to blow you off. Paul basically says to Titus, don't let anybody blow you off, Titus. Because what you are doing and what you are saying is of unbelievable importance. This message isn't to be disregarded. This message isn't to be dismissed. This message is to be seriously paid attention to and embraced. And for those that do disregard this message, for those who do dismiss it, they do so at their own spiritual peril. Because God has spoken very loud and clear. He says, if you have truly heard my voice, then you will understand the importance of the local church. You will understand the importance of being the incarnation of God every day. You will understand the importance of getting good instruction, of integrating that instruction into every facet of your life, of being part of a body of believers where you are interdependent of each other, not segregated and separated from each other. You will understand the importance of being very intentional about how you and I live. 
And you will be reminded every day about how important this is to God. And therefore, how important it needs to be to us as well. God says when he saves us, that obviously it's a great privilege to be a child of God. There's a lot of privileges. But God also wants to lay out very clearly at the very foundation of all that's going on on the island of Crete. With every great privilege we have spiritually, there are corresponding responsibilities. And when God saves us, part of the reason why he doesn't just save us and then zap us to heaven to enjoy his immediate presence, why he leaves us here on this fallen, broken earth, is because he says, you now have a responsibility. You are no longer to live for yourself. You are to live every day seeking to send out a positive, attractive, beautiful, strong, and clear signal of who I am to everyone you come in contact with. That's our responsibility as Christians. And Paul lays out the way we get there. Just as I did last week, I want to again invite any of you to come here as we close our service with this last song, God, I look to you. Because some of you may be struggling with decisions and choices in your life. Some of you may be even saying, I really can't hear God's voice strong and clear right now. And I, I want to. Know this. Hopefully this will encourage you. God always wants his people to hear his voice. Jesus said in John 10, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep will hear my voice and know my distinctive call and they will follow me. As I shared with you last week, one of the cool illustrations of that is in the Middle East. Shepherds would all impound their sheep into one pen. All mixed up from all different herds. And yet every morning, the different shepherds would surround that pen and would begin to call out that distinctive call of theirs. And their sheep knew exactly what shepherd to go to. Why? Because the sheep knew the distinctive voice and call of their personal shepherd. Jesus says, that's the way I want it to be with my people. I don't want my people to be groping through life and bumping and wandering around not knowing where I'm leading them, I want my voice to be very strong and clear in their life. If you really want to hear God's voice strong and clear in your life, or if you're wrestling with some decision today and you've been seeking God's voice and you've been seeking what God wants in that decision, but maybe you're still waiting for an answer, I invite you to come today. Just pour out your heart to God. You continue to look to Him. He'll give you the answer if you really desire. Let's pray. God, we thank You for Your strong and clear voice in our lives. That, Lord, if we're in a place where we really want to hear Your voice, if we really want to desire Your will, then we'll hear it loud and clear. But Lord, we understand that just like in the book of Titus, 
sometimes something is corrupting or interrupting or diluting the signal that's coming from you. Sometimes that's on us. There's things in our life that's cutting off that signal in some way. Sometimes there's so many voices. We've allowed so many people to speak into our lives that your voice isn't any stronger and more clear than any other voice. But God, if there's something we're doing to hinder your voice being strong and clear in our lives, help us to lay that aside so that we can truly hear your voice speak to us today. As we look to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.